You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. So we are in an interesting time in uh, the global economy and mm. American economy and all the economies really, where, you know, it just came out of this crazy season of COVID. Let's say the mm-hmm. two years were crazy COVID. We got out of it almost and we are in this slump. This is the situation that we are in. And of course, when there's a situation, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of emotions that are all over the whack because all the fears and anxieties and all of that, insecurities, all of that comes up. And so timely mm-hmm. for your book to come out. Firstly, before you even really talk about the book, what is it that you have found to be true that happens to people when situations like these happen? Mm-hmm. So I feel like people have different coping mechanisms. And I feel like, you know, either we go into our primal brain and our primal brain is like fight, flight, or freeze, right? And this can happen throughout any sucky moment when we're having a conflict with a partner or when we heard that that client's no longer going to sign up with us again because of this current state of economy or that another client because of, you know, protests going on in certain parts of the world for women's rights, they no longer want to invest in themselves because they're afraid. And so we fight, flight or freeze. That's what our nervous system does. And so that's one camp of people. And another camp of people is like, all right, well, that sucked. Now what? Now, what What am I going to do? And I think most of your listeners fall into the camp of, well, that sucked. Now what? Really fast. Like there is no in-between of what's the middle ground and what's the bridge between the part that sucked. So that sucked, right? And the now what part, which is the part two, which is the actual action. I think your audience would probably disagree that, all right, that's not a problem for me. The problem is actually acknowledging the part that sucked. The problem is actually, what's the bridge that I'm building between that sucked and now what? That vulnerability piece that's often missing. It's one of the reasons why I was so moved and inspired to write the book, especially around, you know, obviously the climate that we're in is different, but the the initial climate was COVID. And to verbalize that statement or those two words, that sucked. The vulnerability in which we say, wow, I'm actually feeling stressed right now. I'm actually feeling sad right now. I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I know I'm not feeling good right now. To acknowledge that and sit with and sit in the discomfort us high achievers, a lot of times don't really know how to do. Why? Because we're on to the next thing. We're on to the next. And we're so on to the next until something else comes out of nowhere. Like a medical diagnosis, like maybe a fall, 
literally or figuratively, like a, a, you know, medical situation, or you wake up and, you know, you're feeling burnout or super lethargic or just stuck in your own funk because you've never asked yourself, how am I actually doing right now? Do I really want to say yes to this thing? Do I really want to say yes to whomever comes my way because I don't know what I'm going to get? Because there's so much uncertainty that I have to say yes, even though I know this client might be a red flag for me. Even though I know working with this person may not be the best, but I'm going to say yes to it. Why? Because I have a big vision for my life and I see what I want to create. And so, you know, I think that for those of us who are in the camp of high achievers, high performers, usually what we would do is we would bury things that don't go well. We'd bury it under a rug, shove it under a rug, shove it in a closet and go on to the next thing because we're like, okay, we've got this. Yes, we have the tools to do it, but are we actually bypassing many times spiritually, what we're actually feeling, thinking that, okay, if I do the next project, if I do the next thing, I'll forget whatever happened. Instead of actually pausing and saying, wait, hold on, checking in with myself and asking, okay, how am I actually feeling about that, that my team member slighted me or that my friend who promised me that they would be there for me actually ghosted me or didn't even show up or didn't even care to call. You know, when we have these human things that will come up that cause us to be human and to explore our humanity. So we explore this humanity. And like you said, we are somewhat aware, but often we shove it under the rug. What is it that you've found to be, for example, let's say if somebody is going from that so now what moment, mm-hmm. you said the transition is really fast. Especially I'm talking in context of coaching, mostly because yep. coaches tend to go, okay, positive thinking, you know, let's move, let's move, let's move. And sometimes that could mean, like you said, that you've not fully acknowledged what that sucked could mean or can be the experience of. Why is it important for you? So, you know, in a coaching container, when we're allowing ourselves or even suggesting to our clients, right? Again, context. If we're constantly focused on the next action step or the next thing, but they're going through a really big life situation, a life initiation, their loved one just left them or something monumental happened. They lost their job or they lost their main source of income or a big client fell through. However, you are coaching your clients or maybe even yourself. Most of the time, you know, and this is for so many of us, most of the time we don't want to sit in that container of discomforting feelings because it feels uncomfortable. And this goes back to, you know, I think in the last time we talked a little bit about what the bounce factor is. And I talk about this in the book heavily, the first part. And most often we are not integrating how we actually are taking even a look into what we were like or how our upbringing was. And our upbringing is one of the four parts that actually build up your bounce factor, your ability to bounce, not break like a strong glass right there. If I were to to take a glass right now and let it go, it would shatter in a million pieces. It'd be all over the carpet, all over the rug, everywhere. We'd have to clean it up. But it's strong, right? We say it's strong. It's tough. It's not going to break. Well, a glass will break. If we take a bouncy ball, which we all carry because, you know, we have our kids. But if we have our bouncing ball with us, it's rubber. It's tough. 
But when we let it go, it bounces. And the ability to be agile, the ability to bend, the ability to flex when things don't go our way, we're not taught that. So when I bring up this concept of the balance factor, that's one of the four key parts, right? So we have to look into our upbringing. Now our upbringing, we have to ask ourselves, well, how were emotions, how were our feelings discussed, if at all, when we were growing up? I mean, how were your feelings in your house? Were they even talked about? No. In your house? No. I come from an Indian family from India. So what we don't does talk that, about feelings. I know, but what does that even mean? What does that mean? You don't talk about feelings. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that. Well, okay, fine. So to give you an example, we talked about feelings, but it was, you know, growing up, I was always told, Nita, you're a big girl. Big girls don't cry. And I'm pretty sure both of my brothers heard the statement from my parents. Big boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. Don't be a girl you know, man up, right? We've heard all of these phrases, but because as a society, we're not taught to feel our feelings. We're not taught that it is safe to actually explore what crying even means because it would mean that we're broken, like the glass that we just shattered. And so if we're not comfortable, and for me, I mean, just in my own experience, because I was told, Nita, you're strong, you're tough, So when I went through all of my losses, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, because of that, I internalized that I have to be strong. I have to be tough. So there were points where I would completely swallow my tears, suppress them so much that then a decade later, it would come fully crashing down on me. And I'm giving a big example here. And of course, I think that for many coaches, in their containers, it'll probably land a little bit differently and hopefully it doesn't have to be that extreme. But I share this example because for me, it was huge. It was, it really ran the beliefs and the thoughts that I had in my head of what strong looked like. So when I was actually in this very tumultuous and toxic relationship, I didn't even want to ask for help. I didn't even want to ask, is there another way? Because I was so afraid of being labeled as broken, as a glass being shattered. But the greatest liberation came from me saying, I can't do this anymore. I need help. To actually say, I need help. To actually say, I am feeling so sad right now. To actually feel the feelings. To actually integrate it. And to notice what parts of ourself is actually coming up. And it was that little girl in me that all she wanted was that validation when she was allowed to cry. And I think for a lot of us, when we look back, so I would probably say to the audience is, look back to see what in your upbringing were you told was okay? Because I remember we talked about this as well, right? Your mom would give the four finger tupper, like, okay, if you're going to cry again, I'll give you something to cry about. And this is common throughout cultures. Culturally, And or if we see a young child crying, even our elders would try to give a candy to our son to make him stop crying. So we're then priming our children that crying is not okay, that feeling sad is not okay, that feeling mad and angry is not okay. So I want us all to think of what were some of the emotions that were not okay in your house? And now as adults, what is not okay? What are you not allowing yourself to feel and express? 
And because I've now had you know many conversations bringing this up in you know in, in closed door talks and talks on stage, majority of people are not okay with either two things. They're not okay with expressing anger because even as good girls, good girls don't get angry. That's not polite. That's not posh to get angry, right? You're then labeled as a bitch. If you get angry, God forbid you share what those emotions look like, but that's the spectrum of humanity, right? And the other aspect is most people are not okay with sadness, which is why then we get to the action. We get to the now what? We get to the now what of, all right, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And here's where, you know, it becomes an issue is where we've sat in the suck for too long, right? And there's some of you listening to this thinking, well, I've had some of those clients where they've been in that healing phase for a very long time, not just one month, not just two months. It's been years. And while it's great for my coaching practice, I want to get them into a state of action. Why are they taking action? They seem like they're constantly going back into the spiral of the sock. That's where then we talk about taking action. It's like our friends that have done 7,000 ayahuasca ceremonies <laughs> and they're still <laughs> discovering something. It's very interesting that you're saying it. It's present to me, or at least that's what I'm feeling right now, is that what you're really saying, at least in this part of the conversation, is that we need as a society to start getting comfortable with the discomfort of sitting in the emotion. And we don't need to chase to end it. Of course, we don't want to prolong it either, but or know when the limit is, but but we definitely don't want it to be like, all right, stop crying or stop being angry or stop being this or stop being that. We want us to be able to fully be expressive of what's happening so we are in tune with what's actually happening. Absolutely. Yes, and. Because if we think about it this way, and this is the analogy that I've been loving recently. So imagine we have a pot of boiling water. Let's just say it's chai because we both love chai so much. And I've got burned from chai when I was in India one time, literally running into the, you know, chai and it was getting served on a tray. And basically I ran right into it. So then the tray table like comes up and the chai like falls into my arm and literally I get like a third degree burn and it was like sizzling. So I know that is the gravity of the pain when you actually have hot boiling chai on a stove. Now, if we think about it in this way, in that story that I just shared, I had a third degree burn. Literally my skin was sizzling after that hot, piping hot chai hit my skin, right? So imagine we have this a boiling hot pot of chai. Well, if we put our hand in it, what's going to happen? It's going to sizzle and the skin is probably going to, you'll probably burn your skin off. So, but that analogy of the hot boiling water, if we turn it off, we take it off the stove and we wait for it to cool down. We're actually in many ways paying attention to that pain point. We're not going to put our hand in it right away so that we could burn. But that analogy of the boiling hot chai is analogous to what's the discomfort that's coming up. So we have to shut off the pot. We have to shut it off, move it. And in many ways, we're moving the pot of chai so that it can cool off before we pour it into a cup. But the act of doing that is paying attention to the emotion paying attention to 
hmm, why am I feeling jealous right now? Why am I feeling like I'm not good enough? Why am I triggered right now? Why am I feeling so angry by the comment that they said or the comment that I read on Instagram or the email that came back from this client that doesn't want to work with me? So that's the analogy of that pain is an indicator. The pain of the discomfort of, ooh, well, that really sucked that they said that. That's that boiling hot water. That's the impetus for you to say, oh, it's time to move the pot. Take the time, look at it. Let that boiling, you know, hot uh, stove calm down a little bit so that we can ask ourselves some reflective questions of, well, how am I playing a role in this? Or what else do I need to heal around this? Because this is still a trigger for me or that really landed not so good for me. What is it telling me more about? So pain is an indicator, right? The pain that we want to avoid, the discomfort that we want to avoid from these really big feelings that we're so quick to swipe on our phones, that we're so quick to jump into the next relationship, that we're so quick to get the next gig and get the next job, even though we're not even doing the work and thinking, is that the kind of job that we want to get? Or is that the kind of client that we want to get next? We're not doing that part of turning the stove off. That's true. That's true. It reminds me of a conversation that I had with in one of the Q&A calls with coaches, uh, some of our certified coaches. And one of the coaches asked a question, which is like, what do I do if my client does not stop crying. Mm. If we get on a coaching conversation, we hit a thread and they start crying and now they don't stop crying. And my reply to that or my response to that was, let them. Because like you said, if the pot's hot, it's boiling, there's no point trying to maneuver it. Let the pot be turned off. Let it settle before you lean in and start your coaching dialogue because right now they're boiling, piping hot. You're going to do anything. You're only going to burn your fingers. You're only going to burn your hands. So don't do that. <laughs> it's going to be piping take hot. Take a minute. Yeah, take a minute. Slow it down. Let it settle. And at that time, I reflected. I was like, if you let somebody just cry, like have a good cry out, 10 minutes, 20 minutes maybe? Like even when Ari goes into his meltdown, if you just let him out, like if Ayla gets into her moment, let them out. Five minutes, maybe? Maybe. Well, that's <laughs> they, the... they just let it out and then they're like, all right, and now I'm ready to talk. It's so much easier to have a conversation than trying to tell them, quiet, quiet. They like only keep boiling up more and more. Well, I mean, that's societally, we've been told to suppress our feelings. We've been told that we can't scream and get angry. We've been told that we can't, cry. And I would go back to whoever asked that question. Well, how does it make you feel that your client is crying? What were you taught growing up about crying that it's not okay for them to express a very human emotion? Because without the cry, without the sadness, like the movie, if for those of you watching who haven't seen that Pixar movie... Inside Out. Out? Oh, gosh. It's such a great movie. I think it's like my all-time favorite. You it should, should be a default watch for every coach. It is. A de- yeah, seriously. That and Soul, the movie. Yeah. 
So for those and of you, for every kid, probably. and <laughs> for, for every adult, too, for those of you non, you know, parents out there who are coaches, I highly, highly recommend Soul and Inside Out and Inside Out because it teaches emotional intelligence to like a three year old, and the way they break down the concepts, it's just so easy because of course you need sadness and joy. They go together. It's the duality of both the human spectrum. We're not meant to just be laughing all the time, right? If we had sunshine all the time, then we would not appreciate the rain when it comes. If we had rain all the time, we wouldn't appreciate the sunshine. Ask anybody who lives in the UK. They love the sun, right? When it shows up, they love it. It's like a party. And so, you know, it's the contrast. It's celebrating and honing in on the contrast. And so for any coach who is uncomfortable or they feel like, oh my God, what's going to happen if my client cries? That's the full body release of emotions. And there are somatic practitioners out there who actually lean into where emotions get stuck in the body and how we actually can move those emotions. I mean, I love this so much that I put it in my book because I think it's so important. And of course, having a two-year-old who flails and bumps his head and moves up and down, they are the purest form of a somatic release party just on the floor. Because if you've ever seen a two-year-old meltdown, it is literally what we probably should experience. You only experience it in like closed doors at a retreat or something like that where you're doing some sort of a release practice. And I use this as a funny example because it is true. We don't allow ourselves to shake it out. We don't allow ourselves to move the energy because an emotion is really, you know, as we already know this, it's energy in motion. So if we are sitting in a corner, not allowing ourselves to cry, getting so bottled up, getting so much tension, and somebody says, don't cry, it's going to be okay. You know, what else were we told when we were younger? Oh, you're going to be fine. Something better will come along, right? We probably have a whole list of those slurs that somebody would say when you're going through a sucky moment. But can't we just reframe the dialogue? And for all of you coaches, I'm curious to know how you hold space for your clients. If it is just being silent and creating that safe container we say hold space in the Wu community, right? But it's just to be present. What is coming up? And for you, as somebody who needs to actually create a safe container for your clients, if they are crying in front of you, that means you've allowed a safe container to happen. If they are sharing their most intimate, vulnerable feelings with you, that means you've done your duty that they are going to go even deeper. They're going to explore some of their edges. They're going to share even more. And so allow, because like you said, yeah, with any emotion, we're moving it through our body. And most of the time, don't we feel a little bit better when we let out a good cry? Don't we feel a little bit better when we could just like get up and, you know, I've done this at a few of the Evercoach events, but stomp out the suck. And we go through, it's like a whole five stage practice of embracing the suck anchoring the suck, accepting the suck, moving the suck, transforming the suck, and releasing the suck. 
And there's a, a few different ways where we activate the vagus nerve, where we activate your rest and relaxation nerve, where we are also calming our nervous system. But we have to do all of these things. So absolutely, my goal for this book and for everyone listening really is to normalize those conversations to say, actually, yeah, that sucked. And now what? And to be sitting in that moment of discomfort. Firstly, all of those steps are covered in the book. So you can go check it out at thatsucknowwhat.com for anybody that's listening right now and wants to check out the book. It's available for pre-sale right now. So this is a skill. I feel like just this muscle itself is something to develop, at least from where, where I'm sitting right now, is the ability to embrace the suck, as you call it. And sometimes as a coach, to be able to embrace somebody else's suck and to be able to sit in it. Is there something that you advocate for as a practice that a person can go, you know, this is how you build the muscle to be able to, you know, not chase the now what or, you know, like get uncomfortable. How do we find comfort okay. in these moments? Comfort but in sitting in these moments. So let's go through a small little practice of embracing the sock. Actually, I have a little photo of it in this book. Mm -hmm. Can we go through it? Okay, so in the book... You may not be able to see the photo because okay. you're listening to it. And so <laughs> you guys are going to be listening. You guys are going to be listening to it. Yes, thatsucknowwhat.com. And actually, it comes with a 40-page... For every book that's purchased, it comes with a 40-page digital guidebook. And in the guidebook, we go through basically step-by-step step and individual prompts that you could actually use. I've used this with my own clients. I've used this with my students. Uh, for those of you who are in any of our groups, uh, you already know this. You've already experienced this. So if you actually have the book, it's on page 19. And we collaborated with one of the mental health designers, Hey Amber Ray. She's Hey Amber Ray. So on Instagram, but it's how to embrace the suck moments. And I'm going to show it here so that you can see it as well, Ajit. But basically, we start with breathing. Aha, breathing. The greatest gift. But for me, it's I want to calm our nervous system because if we are triggered, if we are feeling that things are out of control, and I do this even with you, right? When I know that I'm being activated or something's going on with the kids, this is my own little practice that obviously I've cultivated, right? Where you'll see me, I will hold my heart because that's my reminder to breathe. And not just breathing from my chest, but like the belly breathe. And sometimes... I initially don't start with the belly breathe, but we want to take a deep breath. So, okay. Yep. You're doing this with me. Great. And so we want to experience the suck. So we want to experience the disappointment, the rage, the anger, and feel that it actually sucks. The suckiness of the suck. And so maybe you notice tension in your body. Maybe you notice that your shoulders are rising because you're so tense. Maybe you notice that you're continually breathing shallow, like in your chest. Maybe you notice that your neck muscles are constricted or the muscles underneath your jaw are constricted. Maybe you notice that your head is starting to tense up or you're having a tension headache. So these are all signs that we're starting to feel it, right? So... If you were to then close your eyes and meet the suck as a friend, 
So maybe you can visualize that the sock is perhaps a shape and or a color. So let's pretend that this sock or the disappointment or the rage is maybe a red ball. And so we notice if that rage is a red ball, notice what it's there for. Notice what it looks like. Notice how deep the color red is, or maybe it's a faint red. Maybe it's a light pink. But we want to meet it as a friend. And we're once we dissociate it from us, we realize that, oh, okay, it's just telling us something. Maybe it's telling us that we need to turn the stove off. Maybe we need to take a moment and just notice what it's doing for us. It's making us aware of what we need to pay attention more of. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe we need to take a break. So notice what the urges are coming up. And then finally, if you are in a safe place or safe space, one of the ways to release that if we are feeling stuck in our bodies, release that is we can grab a pillow. Okay, my favorite exercise. I've recently taught the kids, both of them to do this, to release the suck by screaming, by moaning, by crying, by laughing. And by the way, this is all part of the emotional release practice that's in the book. But to cry and to maybe even belly laugh, because what we're then doing is when we're opening our mouths, which is why the dry heaving is so releasing for us is because we're activating the relaxation. When we're crying, we're activating our vagus nerve. It's telling our bodies to rest. It's okay. Because you're not going to cry if you are also anxious and running uh, from a bear. You're definitely not going to cry if you're in fight, flight, or freeze mode, right? But if you're crying, you're just releasing some of those emotions that have been stuck and bottled up. And or if you're screaming, it's the same thing. If we're singing, it's the same thing. We're opening up our vocal cords so we're allowing ourselves to express. And most of the time, that's pretty much all our body wants. And you'll notice, well, how do you feel after that? We're not going to scream on the podcast, but maybe we can try it. <laughs> Such beautiful steps that go from almost a psychological shift to a physiological shift. From starting with breathing to looking at your emotions or a red ball, which is such a psychological dissociative thing to start with leaning into a full physiological move by screaming into a pillow. So I can see how this could be so powerful to release an emotion and to and to sit with an emotion. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend this to be something that you could do on a coaching session? And what would you do? Let's say if somebody has had that release, right? What is it that you would do? Or would you log that release somehow? Would you just move into next steps? What would you do in a coaching session? So I love this because in a coaching session, you actually can create your container. So you can actually do the five steps of taking them through that visualization practice and ending with, you know, full, they can stand up and they can take that pillow and allow that container for them to scream or cry or belly laugh, you know, but have it be, I'll usually do it for 30 seconds or even a minute, right? It's that fast. Oh, it's that fast or the actual release, right? The entire Mm -hmm. practice of embracing the actual suck could be about three minutes. It could be as long as 10 minutes, right? Especially if you're 
and I go through it as well in the book, especially if you are taking them through, well, what does the suck look like, right? What are you visualizing as? Maybe there is a release and they are crying. Maybe they're crying for a longer period of time. So you want to witness what is actually happening at each stage and allow for that to happen. But for those who are maybe practicing this for the first time, try it on yourself. See how you feel when you're noticing it with yourself. You can actually spend three minutes on this and release that emotion. You can spend five minutes doing this particular practice. What I want to remind everyone is that when they've done a release where they're screaming or they are moaning or they are allowing to transform then the suck, right? Because we have to move the suck. And so basically we want to still come back to our breathing. So you want to end with basically, you know, and, and it could be this, we're, we're breathing in for three and releasing for three. So we want to do that three times. So breathe in for three and release for three. And the last time breathe in for three and release for three. And then we want to breathe in, but release with a buzz. So, and then and then do it again. And then the last one. You can replace the buzzing with ohm if you want. And what that does is it brings it back to integrate in our body. So we're integrating our nervous system because we just had a really big scream, either laughter or dancing, moaning, stomping, however physiological you want to take them through that practice. But you still want to end with them centering in themselves by breathing. So the breathing exercise is great. The other thing that I would probably say for, you know, uh, more advanced practitioners, coaches who already do maybe some sort of pranic healing, meditation, some sort of visualization, affirmation practice is invite them to journal. Invite them to see what comes up. Some who are internal processors would love this exercise. And some, if they're external processors like myself, would probably want to talk about it. How was that for you? What did you notice when we were doing that? Did you notice any shame around that practice? Most people who've never done an embodiment practice before, they're like, oh my gosh, am I going to be judged? Like, I look silly. Oh, is this okay? Right? And so how did that feel for you? What came up? Did you experience any resistance to this? Like, These are all beautiful questions to ask because then we're actually building this cadence of vulnerability and authenticity. So the next time you do this practice with them, maybe they pick a song that you're playing while you're doing the practice. And there's actually, you know, two of these embodiment practices in the book. Wow, that's amazing. And I think what I'm learning here is, is sitting with that emotion and being able to have real tools to sit with the emotion. Because I think in coaching or in any therapeutic practices, usually we talk about you sit, sit with it, but nobody knows what it means. Like nobody knows it's what true. do you mean by sit with it or it just simply sometimes means be silent, whereas you're giving some real tools that a person can 
really take it to the practice and say, okay, this is a, you can breathe like this. This is how you can make a sound to reintegrate everything. Or these are different other embodiment practices that you could use, which I think is tremendously helpful in a coaching setup for sure, especially because we are always dealing with emotions. We are always handling some or the other kind of emotions or suppression of them. Because again, it's one of those things that the client sometimes are unable to really share and discuss and present uh, irrespective of I think a man or a woman. They're just not able to. I know we talked about it briefly, but of course men tend to have even a worse response to emotions. Also because somewhere, and I don't know if it's biological or is it just our programming or how we grow up, but we seem to have a lesser attunement to our emotions. We tend to have a lesser for lack of a better word, availability of understanding unless we develop it of what emotion is even happening. We just tend to lean into anger, frustration most commonly versus actually what may be underneath it. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? First of all, is that even a thing or I'm just making it up? No, absolutely. When we first started the conversation, I kind of brought up that there are two ways, right? Some people may not be okay with anger, which is you know, a lot of times women were told when they were younger, you know, good girls don't get angry or good girls don't get mad. Good girls, you know, basically the only emotion that you can actually express is being happy. And I think, especially for guys, which is why I think I became so fascinated about our emotional spectrum is most often young boys are not allowed to express. They're not allowed. They've got to learn how to be tough so soon right away. And we see the spectrum of even our own son, which is really what prompted the entire discussion of how we process, especially as parents, to go, well, how, what were they modeled, you know, and, and, and what was society modeling for that child when they were younger. It's an inherent and learned behavior of these emotions are not good. These emotions are bad. You will be isolated and scrutinized from society if you experience those emotions or from the closest people, the closest caretakers to you, you won't be accepted. So I'm going to give you a four-fingered cupboard, a slap so that you don't do that again, or I'll give you something to cry about, right? And so what the other emotion that will tend to come up is then anger because that's okay to feel. And so men are encouraged to feel tough and get angry and become a warrior. And that's mostly accepted. Crying is not accepted. So men grows up thinking that, okay, crying's not accepted, but I can be angry. That's very, very true. And I think I mean, at some level, I think, and I don't know if it's true for all parents, but but I think the next generation is a little bit more in tune or at least are being prepared to be a little bit more in tune because of people like you who are doing this work of presenting information and saying emotions are okay as a child, as an adult. It's okay to lean into it. It's okay to understand it. It's okay to express all the entire spectrum of it. So thank you for that. And I totally, totally see how this would be so useful in a coaching setting for men or women. Now, there's so much more to explore in this book. And I think we're about an hour time having this conversation. So I invite everybody that's listening to this podcast or watching this podcast to go ahead and check out thatsucknawa.com. The book is available to pre-order right now. Uh, You will be able to get a copy as soon as it comes out on... January 31st. January 31st. So go ahead, get a copy. 
And there's a bunch of bonuses that you're offering. There are. There are a lot of bonuses right now. If you actually order your copy, you get my five-day healing practice. And with the five-day healing practice, we start with the most vulnerable relationships to begin the healing journey, which is your relationships. And whether it's your love relationships, your work relationships, your friendships, your family dynamics, we start with healing the ones that are the most important. And then we go into day two, where we are talking about healing our relationship with our health and our patterns. And then day three is all about what kind of abundance are we actually leaning into and how to actually call in abundance if we're having some limiting beliefs. And then in day four and five, we're talking about how to create and take brave action so that we can connect back to ourselves, no matter what happens. So that's my five-day free practice comes with every purchase as well as the 40-page accompanying guidebook, as well as now, if you get this copy for a girlfriend, for your friend, maybe get a couple of copies for your clients and gift it to them because that's the gift that you can give is to other people. But for those of you who are looking to create and cultivate really nourishing friendships and relationships for yourself, when you get three copies, you also unlock my 12-month self-care calendar, which includes all of our Thai recipes, Mm -hmm. which for, I know, any high performer definitely prioritizes themselves last. So this is great for all of you coaches to actually prioritize self-care. But it comes with rituals and practices and all different kinds of chai because for those of you who have been ever following me, (laughs) you know I'm obsessed with chai. And not only that, we have a 16-page guidebook on how to create your soul support posse so that you can create your containers of support, so that you actually can create your own rituals and practices with other people that you want to get close to. So that's This is all you comes get when you order three books. When you order three books, So yes. go ahead and get three books because you're getting a soul support posse and you're getting a self-care calendar on top of a workbook on top of, of course, a book that is so much power in just itself. The five-day healing practice. And the five-day healing practice. That's a lot of bonuses. The bonuses are worth <laughs> more than the book at this point. <laughs> is there more that they can do? What if they get 25 copies <laughs> and give it to all of their clients or 50 copies? So we have bulk buy orders, actually, and they're actually on thatsucknowwhat.com. If you're curious to order these for your community or gifting out to a bunch of friends or even your clients. We actually have multiple bonuses. You can actually click on the bulk buy button there and it'll share all of those amazing bonuses. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Nita, for coming and taking the time and talking to us about this. Uh, And uh, go ahead, go over to thatsucknowwhat.com. Get one copy, get three copies, get 50 copies, depending on whatever is that you desire in the amazing bonuses that come along. And uh, thank you so much for listening in.